I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading 2 Samuel chapters 1 through 4. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. We begin chapter 1 with an Amalekite who lies about the circumstances of Saul's death. Verse 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David, and he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan his son are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for the anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So this Amalekite shows up at David's camp to report the deaths of Saul and Jonathan, with proof in hand being the crown and bracelet. And he spins a tall tale about Saul's death. Hadn't David just about had his fill of Amalekites anyway? Look back at 1 Samuel 30 to see what I mean there. He tells a story of Saul's death, which we know to be, well, we know it to be a lie. You may want to refresh your memory of Saul's suicide from 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 4 through 6. In reality, Saul asked his armor-bearer to kill him after being mortally wounded. When the armor-bearer refused, Saul killed himself. The armor-bearer subsequently killed himself. What was that Amalekite thinking by taking credit for Saul's death? Was he looking for a reward? David thought he was probably looking for a reward, alludes to such in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 10. Well, he got a reward all right. 
a quick trip to the afterlife of his choice. Second thought, his afterlife experience was probably a, probably a big old surprise to him. Apparently, the Amalekite was not familiar with Hebrew custom regarding the special status of he who has been anointed by God. Saul's armor-bearer understood that status, and he had refused to assist Saul in that task. Why, David himself, he'd passed on all the opportunities that he'd had to kill Saul. Sometimes being unfamiliar with the customs of those around you can be embarrassing or maybe even fatal. The really ironic aspect of this story is that the Amalekite wasn't really responsible at all for Saul's death, according to the account of 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 4-6. through 6. And then David writes a song, publishes his first big hit in 2 Samuel 1, beginning with verse 17. Then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Goth, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountain of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle! Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. David writes a song about Saul and Jonathan here. Since he requires it to be taught to all the people of Judah, it becomes a hit. He went on to write over 100 other hits that still remain favorites today, all found in the book of Psalms. Notice the affection, the genuine love that David expresses toward his close friend Jonathan in the song. Incidentally, the book of Jasher in verse 18 is believed to be a national songbook for Israel. It's also mentioned in Joshua chapter 10, verse 13. It's noteworthy that Saul's death was a necessity. David had been anointed king back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and Saul's death was a prerequisite to that reality. Yet the fact that Saul had been chosen and anointed by God in 1 Samuel chapter 10, well, that was very sacred to David. When he had opportunities to slay Saul himself, he passed on those opportunities. Though he clearly identified Saul as his enemy, it was David's feeling that since God had anointed Saul in the first place, it would need to be God to take him out. Since God had anointed David to be the next king, Israel really wasn't big enough for David and Jonathan even though they were very close friends. Many in Israel would have insisted that Jonathan be Saul's successor. It is with those facts in mind that David's lament makes complete sense. In chapter 2, we find that we have now dueling kings. Verse 1, It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron, 
So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So Judah pronounces David the king of Judah here, and David's reign is based in Hebron. That's a city of quite some significance in Jewish history. That's the location Abraham purchased for the burial of Sarah back in Genesis chapter 23. Subsequently, Abraham was buried there also, along with Rebekah, Leah, and Jacob in Genesis chapter 50, verse 13. Abner, the commander of Saul's army, makes Saul's son Ishbosheth king, well, over the rest of Israel anyway. Now we have two kings. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10 says, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. So Ishbosheth had a two-year reign. Hmm. I wonder how much authority over his own throne Ishbosheth really has here. It's also interesting that Ishbosheth reigned from the east side of the Jordan River in Mahanaim. What's up with that? Hey, if you're scared, just say you're scared. Incidentally, Abner was Saul's first cousin. Well, here's the deal. Abner was really running the country. Ishbosheth was a figurehead, just a figurehead. Abner just picked a safe place to store this weak king while he commanded the military in his effort to gain control over all of Israel, including Judah. Well, at least Abner thought that it was a safe place to store the king. It's stated without explanation in verse 10 that the reign of Ishbosheth was two years, and in verse 11 that David's reign over Judah was seven years and six months. Apparently, it took a while for Abner to secure a kingdom for Ishbosheth to rule. It must have taken about five years and six months. That would explain why Ishbosheth stayed on the east side of the Jordan River. There was no safe place to reign outside of Judah on the west side of the Jordan River. So it would appear that Ishbosheth's reign coincided with the last two years of David's reign over Judah. In verses 12 through 32 of chapter 2, we see an attempt to settle this king thing once and for all. Verse 12. Now Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth the son of Saul went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Then Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they arose and went over by number, twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, 
and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head, and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zerahiah were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. So Asahel pursued Abner, and in going he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? He answered, I am. Then Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and lay hold on one of the young men, and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear, so that the spear came out of his back. And he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood still. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Ammah, which is before Giah, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel any more, nor did they fight any more. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants nineteen men and Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men three hundred and sixty men who died. Then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Well, David's people headed up by Joab and Ishboeth's people headed up by Abner. They meet at Gibeon to settle this king issue once and for all. They have an interesting civil battle pitting their men against each other while they sit by the pool as spectators. It was a gladiator-type sporting event. Turns ugly, though, with David's team chasing Ishbosheth's team back across the Jordan River. At the end of the day, here are your scores. David, 360 to Ishbosheth, 19. Now, we're talking about confirmed kills here. Commander Abner, he flees the scene also. And um, Joab's brother, Asahel, who was described as being as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle, he's in pursuit of Abner. He perceives that if Abner falls, the uh, whole Ishbosheth is king thing will collapse. Abner sees him in pursuit and begs him to give up and go back, but Asahel, he won't listen. He catches up with him when Abner strikes Asahel with the blunt end of his spear, but it catches him between the ribs and goes clean through to his back and he dies. Joab and Abishai, who were Asahel's brothers, 
they continue the pursuit. Abner finally convinces Joab to postpone the battle, but Asahel is dead. I have a suspicion that somebody's going to pay for that. Better watch your step, Abner. In chapter 3, we wonder, can this guy Abner be trusted? Verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Ahanoam, the Jezreelitess, his second Keliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, the third Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, the fourth Adonijah, the son of Haggath, the fifth Shephatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth Ithriam by David's wife Eglah, these were born to David in Hebron. Now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ahim. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David, and you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman? May God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner another word, because he feared him. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Patael, the son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Bahurim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go return. And he returned. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then, do it, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and twenty men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. At that moment the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace." When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away, and he has already gone? 
Surely you realize that Abner the son of Ner came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you are doing. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Syrah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately, and there stabbed him in the stomach, so that he died for the blood of Asahel his brother. After when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Azahel at Gibeon in the battle. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. So they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies, your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath, saying, God do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them, since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today. Though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zerahiah, are too harsh for me, the Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Well, Abner was Ishbosheth's big supporter and right hand man. Actually, Abner was the man behind the throne. When Ishbosheth verbally flexes his muscles a bit after Abner helped himself to one of Saul's concubines, Abner takes great offense from Ishbosheth's rebuke. I mean, to have taken liberties with the previous king's concubine well, could have been interpreted as more than simply personal sexual gratification. It may have been a move towards Saul's throne itself by Abner. However, after the rebuke from Ishbosheth, Abner goes to pay David a visit. I wonder, is this a traitor's visit or is it a spy mission? According to verses 9 and 10, Abner intends to sell Ishbosheth out. He even indicates that the throne rightfully, by God's command, belongs to David anyway. In verse 18, he says that. Well, David's very happy to get the Abner visit. Joab thinks it's a bad thing. After all, Abner had killed Joab's brother. Oh, and we have a prerequisite here. David wants his first wife, Michael, who was Saul's daughter, wants her back. Remember how Saul had taken her from him and given her to another man in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 44? One might presume that David's intentions here are to strengthen his right to the throne of Israel as son-in-law to the previous king. Michael's current husband is understandably distraught over losing his wife back to David, and he follows her, but Abner sends him home wifeless. When Joab returns from battle to find that David and Abner have already met, he's not happy at all. He pursues after Abner and kills him to avenge his brother's death. David concludes this chapter, chapter 3, quite disappointed at what Joab had done, but quite powerless to take any action at this point. 
He treats Abner like a hero and makes it clear to the people that he had nothing to do with Abner's death. David doesn't forget what Joab did that day, however. Years later, many years later, it would come up again when Joab is executed under Solomon per David's suggestion in 1 Kings chapter 2. Well, this battle for the kingship isn't over. Chapter 4. Ishbosheth loses his head. I mean, literally loses his head. Verse 1. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart and all Israel was troubled. Now, Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Baanan and the name of the other Rechab, the sons of Ramon, the Be'erothite, of the children of Benjamin, for Be'eroth was also part of Benjamin. Because the Be'erothites fled to Gitaim and have been sojourners there until this day. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Then the sons of Ramon, the Be'erothite, Rechab, and Ba'anah, set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Ba'anah, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life, and the Lord has avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and his descendants. But David answered Rechab and Ba'anah, his brother, the sons of Ramon, the Be'erothite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, when someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? Therefore shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. For they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. A couple of Saul's soldiers thought it would be a good idea to slay Ishbosheth, Saul's son, ruling over Israel, and they thought they were doing it on David's behalf. They killed him while he was sleeping. Well, so much for loyalty. Rechab and Ba'anah really didn't know David very well, did they? Somehow, bringing Saul's son's head, Ishbosheth, to David seemed like a nice gesture to them. Well, David felt differently. He killed them and cut off their hands and feet. Then, as an example, he had them hung by the pool in Hebron. It's just a little difficult to assess David's reaction to news like that. Could it be that David's reaction to Joab's slaying of Abner made them think that they would receive treatment as heroes for the death of Abner's boss? Whatever they're thinking, it backfired. David cites his treatment of the Amalekite who took credit for Saul's death back in 2 Samuel chapter 1, he used that as the precedent to which they should have given heed. We have a passing comment in verse 4 about Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. He was crippled on the day the news arrived that Saul and Jonathan were dead as he and his nurse fled. Later, David assumes the personal responsibility for this crippled would-be heir to Saul's throne in Second Samuel chapter 9. 
So now the stage is set. Saul's sons are all dead, and David is ready to assume the role as king over all of Israel. That reality unfolds in 2 Samuel chapter 5. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.